as I read through the New Testament, I look for key verses that speak of the matter of a local church and the perception that that church would have in the community of which it is a part. I look for key verses that, that speak or address the message that's being communicated by those congregations. And there are several. As you read through the New Testament, you, you'll read statements made, for example, by the Apostle Paul or other New Testament writers about different congregations and, and, and what was known of those churches. An example is the church at Thessalonica, which is not the example I'm going to be using this morning, but you know, that was a church that it, it was known, it, its faith had sounded forth. Well, another of those key verses is found in the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, where Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, writes this, Romans 1 and verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, when you read that statement, if, if you could go back 2,000 years and visit Rome, even before you met with that assembly, would you not get excited? Would you not want to visit that church and be a part of that local congregation? A congregation whose reputation brought Paul to his knees before God and thanked God for that church because their faith was being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's exciting, isn't it? And as you think about their situation, as you think about their time, there, there was no social media. There was not the avenues of communication that we have today. And yet throughout the world, you could find people who were excited and were talking about the church at Rome. Well, that makes me want to think about that congregation. It makes me want to look at that letter. It, won't, it, it makes me want to get to know the church at Rome and ask the question, how can we be like them? How is it that we can live our lives as individual members of a local congregation such that it can be said of us that our faith is being proclaimed? We're standing for something. We're known for something. We're making a difference. In our community, we're making, we're having an impact upon the lives of others. It's not just a, a religion that is focused upon what takes place in a building. It's something more than that. Let's think about the church at Rome for just a moment. Well, where do we go? I want you to go with me to the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. Because in this chapter, as Paul brings this letter to a close, he makes reference to several members, individual members, real people, who were a part of that church. That church of which Paul said, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. As we look at these, we're going to see two things. The first of which is this. They were workers. This was a congregation of individual Christians who were working. 
their Christianity was something so special to them that they were willing to push aside things that were important in life and they were willing to get busy to be about their father's business. Let's notice in Romans chapter 16, first he names Priscilla and Aquila. And he says of them in verse 3, my fellow workers, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And then we drop down to verse 6. And, and here is a, another member of the congregation. It's Mary. We don't know who this Mary was. We don't know much about Mary, but we know this. She was a worker. In fact, she distinguished herself to such an extent that Paul said, Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. And then in verse 9, in this same chapter, Paul writes, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And then in verse 12, he writes, Greet Trephinea and Trephosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. You know, that's the kind of congregation that's going to have an impact. It's a church that's doing more than just having a few assemblies each week. It's comprised of individuals who come to these assemblies who are provoked to love and good deeds and then go out in the world and practice love and good deeds. They were fellow workers with Paul. What kind of worker was Paul? You know, you had to be a worker in order for Paul to say, you're a fellow worker. You're, you're working and I'm busy, I'm working, I'm making sacrifice, but you're doing it as well. It's not just the apostle that's busy, it's the members of the church there who are busy or were busy as well. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 36, you'll notice that Jesus, seeing the people, Jesus, our Lord, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. He was looking out in his community. He was looking out and he was seeing people because they were distressed and they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know anybody like that? The world is full of people like that. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they're few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That needs to be our prayer, doesn't it? We need to be praying for the church at Baldwin. That the church at Baldwin will be filled with workers who are working hard, who are going out, in, and they are, they are concerned about the community. They are concerned about the lost. And they're seeking to reach out to the distressed and the dispirited, those who are sheep without a shepherd, because they care about those people. I love some of the things that Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes in the ninth chapter as he is going through the various areas of life and he's addressing one area after another. He states in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Don't just do it. Give yourself to it. Expend some energy. Expend some enthusiasm. Get behind it. 
There is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. You're not going to be working once you die. And you don't know when you're going to die. So get busy now. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4, this is a, a verse that I came across in, in my daily reading, and I wrote an article about it. I'm trying to remember now. I, I guess that would be today. Find that newsletter. Yeah, there it is. Fruitful labor. And he's writing, I think, not so much about working for the Lord, but I made that application. In, the, in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, whatever it is that's involved in fruitful labor, he's not going to do it. Because he's got what we so often call analysis paralysis. He's looking for the right time. He's looking, at, he's looking at the clouds. I'm not sure if today is a good day to work. I don't know what, what the weather is going to bring this day. Maybe the timing is just not right. Or he, he watches the wind. I don't know what the weather is going to be like. I don't, the, the clouds may bring a storm. There's danger. And, and the wind, there's, there's uncertainty. There's just, I don't know. I don't know if now is a good time to do this. I don't know if, if now is a good time to get started. If, if you were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus and, and you ask him that question, what would he say? If you were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Apostle Paul, what would he say? Well, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, in quoting the Old Testament, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We're to preach the word. We are to be, we are to be engaged in that work in season and out of season. Now is the time. There's always time. There's always opportunity to become a worker for the Lord. And I believe that was the mindset that you would have found in the church at Rome. It was a mindset that caused them to work. Such that their faith was known throughout the world. We are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Be steadfast in it. Don't be moved. Be always abounding. That's whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent. Be diligent. To be a laborer, to be a worker. Someone who knows God's word because that's really the weapon that God has given us. That's the tool, that's the instrument. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. That's why we study the Bible individually. That's why we study the Bible collectively so that we can be equipping ourselves to be able to go out and to teach others. And that's how our faith is going to be proclaimed. But the second thing I see in the church at Rome, and I go back to chapter 16 once again for this point, no fear. Let's just do this. 
In Romans 16 and verse 3, again, Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife team, my fellow workers who from my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give, give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They risked their lives for Paul. They were willing to put themselves in harm's way. They were not afraid to put themselves out in the world and do the work that God had called them to do. They were true disciples. They were following the crucified but risen Savior. In the same chapter, in verse 7, he writes again of those fellow workers who are outstanding uh, among the apostles. But he says that they're fellow prisoners. They're fellow prisoners. They did something that brought them into conflict with the world. They did something that brought them into conflict with society. And as a result of that, they found themselves where Paul often found himself in jail. Because they stood up. In verse 20 of this chapter, I want you to notice this statement. And, and this sort of reaches a little bit beyond, but it does address this matter of, of, of fear. What, why does he say in verse 20 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet? You know, we often hear the expression that fear is a liar. Well, who's the chief of liars? It's Satan. Satan's the one that puts fear in our hearts. He lies to us. And... Paul wanted the church at Rome to know you keep working, you keep moving past your fear because God is the one who is on your side and he can crush Satan. And let me just say this. Do you think the church at Rome was on Satan's radar? Do you think the church at Rome got Satan's attention? You know, the churches that do nothing... The churches that maintain the status quo, who just want to keep house, I just want to keep the peace. Let's not do anything that's going to rock the world. Satan doesn't care about those churches. He's got them. They're not doing anything. But the church that gets busy, the church that starts reaching out, the, start, the church that starts seeking to reach out and share the gospel with the lost, the individual members, that puts that church on Satan's radar screen. But just remember, the God of peace will crush Satan. Do you believe Jesus when he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it? Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Some of the statements that Jesus made here in preparing his disciples. If you were a follower of Christ during the first century, you know, the, the persecution that ultimately led to his death developed over time. It actually began pretty early on, though. It intensified with the passing of time. If you were a disciple and you're following Jesus, at some point, if you're an intelligent person, you're going to start thinking, this may not go so well for me. This, this may not bring me the, the popularity that I might expect the wonderful life that I might expect in being a disciple, I might find myself experiencing some trouble. 
because of my decision to follow Jesus. In Matthew 10 and verse 16, Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that's a little bit frightening. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father is child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. When I tell you what I tell you in the darkness, you speak it in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, you proclaim it upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. You fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You want to be afraid of somebody? You be afraid of God. Are not two sparrows sold for a sin and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than, than many sparrows. God's got this. John chapter 14, Jesus once more in verse 27 told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And now if you watch Hannity, you're going to recognize this. He quotes it every night. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And that's not a political statement. That's a statement of Jesus to his disciples. Don't fear. Just do this. There's, there's a heaven awaiting you. There's an eternal reward awaiting you. You may have to die because of your faith. But if you die because of your faith, where will you be? In Acts chapter 5, we, we, see, we see this in the, in the lives of the apostles and the, the early disciples as the church was established and then grew like wildfire. In Acts chapter 5, the, the apostles were told to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Stop standing up. Stop speaking out. You go about your business, but you stop talking about Jesus. Well, the apostles in verse 40 were flogged. And they were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name and every day in the temple and from house to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Where's the fear? In the 21st chapter as Paul made his way to Jerusalem, he was going there and he would be preaching in the hotbed of Judaism. And along the way, there were warnings. In chapter 21, when he came to Caesarea, he entered the house of Philip the evangelist. And as they were staying there, verse 10, there, were some, there was a prophet named Agabus 
who came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, he bound his own feet and his hands, and he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Well, then we better not go. That's pretty clear. There's going to be trouble in Jerusalem. We better wait. I, I see the cloud coming. <laughs> I don't think I need to, to, to work. I don't think I need to, to sow. I, I don't think I need to try to reap right now. Let's wait for a better time. Well, when he heard this, verse 12, we as well as the local residents, we as being Luke who wrote Acts, we began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. You know, it's hard enough to face danger when you're being encouraged to face danger. But it's difficult to face danger when everybody around you is saying, don't do this. <laughs> you don't need to go to Jerusalem. Well, look at Paul's answer. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Does that describe us? I bet it describes some of those members in the church at Rome who did not allow fear, did not, uh, they were willing to risk their necks. They were willing to risk their own lives for the sake of Paul and, and the sake of Christ and the work of Jesus. In the book of Revelation, a book that was written, a book that was written in response to the prayers of the saints who were being persecuted and put to death because the church was at war with the government, or I should say the government was at war with the church. Well, now's not a good time to be proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now's not a good time to be confessing his name. No. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death. And that means even to the point of death. And I'll give you the crown of life. Many Christians that died over the next 100 or 200 or so years as the persecution began to heat up, did they stop? Is there any room in the book of Revelation for a message that says to hold back? In chapter 21 and verse 8, you don't have to read between the lines here to make note of the fact that the first that are mentioned here as those that will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone are the cowardly. The cowardly. They're the ones who say, don't go. That's the ten spies who said, we can't take this. We can't do this. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. We've never seen this before. We cannot do this. Joshua and Caleb said, God's got this. We can do this. And remember, Joshua, you choose what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, 
We're, go we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stand up. And we're going to do what God has called us to do. And we're going to be the light that God has called us to be. But for the cowardly, those who allow fear and anxiety to consume them, it will not go well in eternity. Jesus said, if you fail to confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. Take that seriously. Take that seriously. Is our faith being proclaimed? Are we workers? And have we overcome? Or are we overcoming our fear? The lesson is yours. Let's go to God now in prayer.